What is up, everybody out there in podcast land? Yes, it is Friday night. It is July the 28th, 2023, and it is time for episode 102 of The Fortress of Rock. I am your host, omnipresent every week, the maestro Kevin Crane, and as always, glad to have you aboard. We can't do this without support from you. No, I'm not turning this into a telethon. I'm not asking you for money. When I say support, I mean the fact that you actually listen. That's all we want. You listen, you enjoy it, I enjoy it. Copacetic relationship here. First and foremost, as always, each and every Friday night here on the Fortress of Rock, we start off with news of the world. Our tribute to the late, great Freddie Mercury and Queen. And unfortunately, I have to dampen my enthusiasm right now. Because, unfortunately, the lead-off news in the world of rock and roll, in the world of music, is a trio of passings, a trio of deaths, some surprising, some not. We'll start off with Tony Bennett, the great Tony Bennett. What a voice. The man transcended generations. He was hip. He was cool. For what, 60 years, 50, 60 years at least? Tony Bennett had the respect of modern-day peers like Lady Gaga, going all the way back through time. Vegas, of course, one of the biggest acts that appeared on the strip in Vegas in its heyday. Tony Bennett has left us a moment of silence for Mr. Bennett. Now, here's where things get weird, because I will end up getting a little upset. And maybe, yes, this does pull Tony Bennett into the discussion And in this world, in this age of social media, and everybody's a critic and everybody's got an opinion, myself included, of course, let's first talk about the passing of one of the co-founders of the Eagles, Randy Meisner, which just happened, or was just announced yesterday as we record the fortress on july the 28th news broke late july the 27th i really 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 don't understand tony bennett passes away everybody expected it because he was old. 
brutally honest, he was old. Randy Meisner was in his 70s. He was older, too. So this isn't surprising, but at the same time, Randy Meisner was an integral part of one of the greatest rock bands of all times, definitely one of the greatest American rock bands of all times with the Eagles. People seem to forget he was on all but one of the classic era Eagles albums. He had been replaced by Timothy B. Schmidt only on the long run. We're not counting Hell Freezes Over. We're not counting the double album Travesty. What was it? Long Way to Eden? Travesty because it just wasn't up to the level of what we expected from the Eagles. It seemed like a money grab. Huh. Don Henley must have been involved. But Randy Meisner was on every classic era Eagles album from their debut through Hotel California. Yes, one of the most important rock albums of all time, Hotel California. And he was an essential part of the band. All the members of the Eagles were essential parts of the band. And that's what made the Eagles great. So here we go. Time to rant. You're going, what? Maestro, Kev, where are you going with this? You're all over the place talking about Tony Bennett dying and Randy Meisner passing away. Let's get to the third of the three major music artists to pass away here in the last week. And that would be Sinead O'Connor. Yes, Sinead O'Connor died much younger than she should have in her mid-50s. But when I see people like Morrissey, again, overrated. Oh, who cares about the Smiths? Really? Why is Morrissey considered this all-time influential artist? Saying we weren't there collectively. All of us weren't there for Sinead O'Connor when she needed us. But now that she's dead, we're just throwing out tributes and positive vibes all over the place. Well, I'm not. What I'm going to point out here is the hypocrisy of the media coverage because of the fact that Randy Meisner and Tony Bennett were older and they were expected to die. Where Sinead O'Connor died younger, not young, younger. And she had a history of mental health issues. And I'm sorry, wasn't nearly as influential in the music world as either Tony Bennett or Randy Meisner. But somehow the media coverage was five, six, seven times more for her death than it was for the other two icons of music. Again, part of it's because she died younger. I get it. But for Morrissey to come out and start whining and crying about how we didn't care for Sinead O'Connor when she was alive, so now why all the tributes when she's dead? Get over yourself, okay? 
Sinead O'Connor, number one, didn't make it easy for anybody to like her. She's most well known for two things, a cover of a Prince song and tearing up a picture of the Pope on Saturday Night Live. Again, Randy Meisner founded, co-founded one of the biggest rock bands of all time, Tony Bennett, one of the most influential singers and biggest acts in Las Vegas of all time. Yet the media overwhelmingly covers the death of Sinead O'Connor, and Morrissey doesn't think it's enough. Morrissey thinks we, we should have been there for her when she needed us. Where were you, Morrissey? Were you doing what you needed to do to help out your buddy, Sinead O'Connor? You're acting like you were such tight-knit friends. Did you do enough? Stop laying a guilt trip on everybody else. It's sad that Sinead O'Connor died. But in the end, to me, and I'm sure to a lot of rock fans out there, it's a blip on the radar compared to the major influences passing, leaving us this week in the form of Randy Meisner and Tony Bennett. But again, this insane world we live in, does it surprise me? No, not in the least. Oh, I wish I could shed all the negativity, but I can't not quite yet. In fact, for the most part, I'm sorry, news of the world is going to be pretty negative. Yes, we have more drama yet again in the journey camp. And I'm beginning to wonder if Neil Sean is not just an outright scumbag. I have tried to defend him. I have tried to carry the flag for him. Because when I saw him, the last time I saw him live, it's been a few years. But when I saw him with Journey Live, he still seemed to be at the top of his game, enjoying life, enjoying playing with his band. But I think that particular phrase, his band, has gotten into his head and has turned around and screwed around and and transformed and turned his brains into mush. Because not only is Jonathan Cain the only member of the classic era journey lineup left in the band right now, not only is he having issues with Jonathan Cain, but now he talks about, because of the issues with Jonathan Cain, bringing back Greg Rowley. Of course, Greg Rowley was at, there at the beginning as Journey ascended with infinity and evolution. Feeling that way. Anytime. Wheel in the sky. Whether he was singing lead harmonies with Steve Perry. Neil Sean was talking about, well, maybe we'll bring Greg Raleigh back if, if Jonathan Cain doesn't want to play ball with me. 
Well, now he's upset Greg Raleigh. Because we talked about this release. Neil Sean kind of backdoored a very interesting and a very solid and entertaining three CD and DVD combo pack release earlier this year. I bought it. I got it for like $16. It was an unbelievable deal. A lot of old journey, of course, with Greg Rowley involved, current journey drummer Dean Castronovo and a couple of other guys brought in to fill in the gaps. But journey through time is technically Neil Sean and a bunch of guys he brought together. But he tends to emphasize that word journey when he's marketing or promoting this particular band. He's almost treating his own band like he's got them and then he's got an offshoot, a cover band. And since he's kind of got the rights to both, he's kind of playing both sides of the fence. But now Greg Rowley has had enough. Greg Rowley does not like the fact that the Journey Through Time CD and DVD package was released without consideration of the fact that he owns the publishing rights to a lot of those classic Journey songs. Again, Infinity, Evolution, that era of Journey. Greg Rowley was smart enough, you could argue, he should have sold his rights. He held on to his publishing rights. And since he co-wrote a lot of those great songs on those albums, he wants to know where are his royalties from the sales of Journey Through Time. Since a lot of the songs played on that three CD DVD set are his, at least partially. Then there's a debacle over in France involving a promotion for a music festival that's supposed to feature again this Neil Sean construct called Journey Through Time. Neil Sean got a hundred thousand dollars up front. Again, no money going out to anybody else, according to reports. And I'm beginning to believe the reports more than I believe Neil Sean, because it's starting to sound like him and his wife just spend, spend, spend all of this money without consideration for the crew, the roadies, their bandmates. I'm beginning to wonder now if Steve Perry wasn't onto something when he bailed on Journey. Because again, Greg Raleigh says he backs out on this and says, no way am I doing this French festival show. Because again, you're, you're misrepresenting what we're doing. You're emphasizing journey in journey through time. You're making it sound like journey is playing this show. And they're not. This is a, an offshoot band. 
It is not journey. So Greg Rowley, being mature, being thoughtful, being smart, says, I don't want any part of this. So, of course, the festival had to cancel the appearance of this journey through time. Sideband. And the worst part, again, Neil Sean gets $100,000. The festival emphasizes to the fans wanting money back. Just let us keep the money to support the overall festival. And as of my last little bit of research, no options for refunds have been offered to the fans. Yet, Neil Sean, again, walks away with a hundred grand. Despicable. And again, I have really turned my opinion on Neil Sean around. I'm beginning to wonder if Jonathan Kane, Steve Perry, Greg Riley aren't all right. You want to look, go back and look at firing Ross Valerie and Steve Smith because they were supposedly attempting a quote-unquote coup d'etat on Neil Sean. And I know Neil Sean and Eddie Van Halen were really close Part of the reason why I've always given him the benefit of the doubt, but wow, this just does not look good for Neil Sean. The last year plus of drama in the journey camp. So if you're looking for new music, some new, some reworked, some covers, We've got you covered here on the Fortress of Rock. If you care, I don't anymore. I I am officially done. I've told you this here recently on the Fortress. I am done, over, no more Greta Van Fleet for me. I will only be burned so so much so often. Before I say I'm done. And I'm Greta Van Fleet. New album. Starcatcher is out now. You want to listen to it. You go ahead and listen to it. This is one of the few bands out there that I will not. I am not going to review this album. I am not going to waste my time on Greta Van Fleet anymore. They have strayed so far from the sound. The energy that they had originally. Can't do it. Won't do it. Not going to subject myself to it. My job for me as well as for you is to find the best possible new music out there for you. And I have no faith that Greta Van Fleet is putting out good new music. But again, their new album, Starcatcher, is out. If you want to check it out, you go for it. Negative vibes just keep rolling along here on a humid, hot Friday night on the Fortress of Rock. You know how much I love Roger Waters. We have an official release date, October the 6th, for his egocentric 
redo of the dark side of the moon. As he says, well, it's really mine. Yeah, there were other guys involved. Oh, yeah. Richard Wright, David Gilmore, Nick Mason. Yeah, they were involved, but it's really mine. So I'm going to redo it and do it by myself and do it right. So if you, again, want to indulge in something that I will not, October the 6th, Roger Waters puts out The Dark Side of the Moon Redo. Then finally, a little bit on a lighter note, a little bit more fun, before we get back into the muck and the mire again. My man Mark Tremonti, of course, guitarist extraordinaire, lead guitarist for Creed, lead guitarist for Alter Bridge, lead guitarist for his own band, and vocalist for Tremonti. Last year, he put out an album of covers of Frank Sinatra songs. Man's got a wicked voice. Now, he knows better than to step on Miles Kennedy in Alter Bridge. But that's why he goes and does these side projects. So last year, it was Sinatra. This year, coming in October, Mark Tremonti will be doing a Christmas album. Of course, there will be covers, supposedly some new stuff on there as well. So, if you're looking for a new Christmas album, and I usually buy one a year. Usually try to buy one new Christmas album a year, because that seems to be trendy among rock stars, pop singers, doing an album of Christmas songs. We've seen Billy Idol do it here recently. I think Rob Thomas put out a Christmas album recently. I might indulge when it comes to my man, Mark Tremonti. Again, October, look for Mark Tremonti releasing his Christmas album. In August, we will have a review of ZZ Top and Leonard Skinner live in Noblesville, Indiana. This past week, this past Friday, actually, seven days ago, July the 21st, that tour kicked off in Florida. By all accounts, got off to a fantastic start. Cannot wait to see the co-headlining tour with ZZ Top and Leonard Skinner. Then finally, back to the negativity. To wrap up News of the World, we talked about the feuding among the Journey Camp members. Arguably the hot, the hottest guitarist in the world right now, in my humble opinion, is Extreme's Nuno Betancourt. If you have listened to him blister his way through their new album, Six, you know what I'm talking about. 
he recently got into a social media online fracas with Richard Fortas. Who? Who? Richard Fortas plays rhythm guitar for Guns N' Roses, basically taking the place of Izzy Stradlin. Nuno has come out and apologized, did the mature thing, and said, this never should have started up, this never should have happened, I never should have gone down this road, but I will tell you this, he wasn't wrong in this whole thing. What happened was Nuno Betancourt made a comment about how it was not easy to play guitar in Rihanna's band, because of course you saw him at the Super Bowl. Nuno has been playing with Rihanna for years and years. That's probably a major reason why it took so long to get the sixth Extreme album out. But he was defending himself, defending the fact he was playing with Rihanna instead of working with Extreme. And happened to mention Slash of Guns N' Roses. And I'm paraphrasing here, but Nuno basically said, there are not many guitar players in the world, very few, if any, who could keep up with some of the stuff that I had to play backing Rihanna. And he mentioned Slash by name. And I think it was a backhanded compliment. If Slash is the first guitarist that pops into your head when you say, I don't even think Slash could keep up on a night-by-night basis doing a lot of this stuff, I think he's actually complimenting Slash. I think he's actually being very kind and complimentary if that's the first guitarist that pops into his head. But this Richard Fortas, Izzy Stradlin's drone slash replacement, has got to post a response and say, Slash can do anything on a guitar, man. Don't disparage Slash. Again, paraphrasing. So Nuno took the semi-high road. And basically said, let's not fight about this. Let us not get into a big brouhaha about this. I did not mean to insinuate in any way, shape, or form that Slash was not a great guitarist. I never took it that way. Again, I think it was a compliment to Slash. But he says to Richard Fortas, let's grab a beer sometime. Now, Nuno did respond initially to Richard Fortas and basically give him a little bit of a backhanded slap and saying, dude, do I even know who you are? Have I ever ever heard you play one note on a guitar? So I will say kudos to Nuno Betancourt for trying to take the high road, albeit in a very indirect way. He was being a little snobbish. 
to Richard Fortas. I don't have a problem with it because I don't even know who the hell Richard Fortas is. Just like Nuno. And I saw Guns N' Roses live a few years back. You couldn't have told me who Richard Fortas was from the guy sitting next to me at the concert. And I get it. He's defending his current bandmate Slash. But again, I don't think Nuno was trying to be insulting. I think he was actually being complimentary to Slash. But at least in this case, as opposed to what we've been talking about for months and months with Journey, it looks like somebody has doused this fire and we can all move on. And Nuno and Richard can go have a beer together. But Nuno's 50 times better than you, Richard. Just keep that in mind while you're drinking your Schlitz alongside my man, Mr. Betancourt. All right, that's going to do it for News of the World. Went a lot longer than I thought it would this week. Probably because I couldn't shut up. But, hey, some weeks I'm a little more terse than others. This week, the tongue seems to be waggling. So that should tell you what you're in for for the rest of the show. Coming up next on Breakdown, my review of Foreigner and Loverboy live in concert and act two of the Smashing Pumpkins, 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 the Smashing Pumpkins Autumn. (laughs) I'm the maestro, quick promo break, and I'll be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Fortress of Rock podcast with me, the maestro, Kevin Crane. Of course, that was segment one, the news of the world our tribute to Freddie Mercury and Queen, where we look back at the past week in rock and roll and all the news and all the controversies that you deserve to know about. Next up is the heart of the show, the meat and potatoes breakdown, where we are going to review all the new songs, all the new albums, all the new concert tours, the shows that I've seen personally, Stay tuned for that. Of course, we're now available on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Hang out, kids. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Segment two of the Fortress of Rock here, July the 28th, 2023 episode 102. I am the maestro Kevin Crane. You are, of course, who you are. Playing it a little fun, a little bit loose this week, probably the cold medication. You can probably tell from the sound, the timber of my voice, that I'm just getting over a cold, which I caught from my buddy, Typhoid Dave. He gave it to me, gave it to his wife, as we were cooped up in a car for over four hours driving back and forth from Noblesville, Indiana, last Friday night, watching Foreigner and Loverboy live in concert. Yes, it is time for Breakdown. Every week, the best reviews when it comes to concerts, 
albums and new songs. So, kicking off six straight weekends of live music for the maestro. Not a bad start. You figured you were going to get the greatest hits from Loverboy and Foreigner, and for the most part, you did. And I'll give them credit, they played a little bit longer than I even expected. Loverboy played for an hour, Foreigner, an hour and 45 minutes. So you definitely got your money's worth, in a sense, for this show. So let's start off with Loverboy as the opening act. Ten songs. Notorious. Never been one of my favorite songs by Loverboy. Lucky Ones. Definitely one of my favorites. Queen of the Broken Hearts. Solid. Take Me to the Top. Not usually one of my favorites, but this probably was my favorite song of Loverboy's set. My buddy elbowed me when the intro started and said, you got to get those cheesy 80s synthesizers in there, don't you? With a wink, wink, nod, nod, nudge, nudge. Yes. And it was awesome. And then they followed that up with The Kid Is Hot Tonight. Then it was time for a bathroom break because they started to play the cheesy ballad from Top Gun, Heaven In Your Eyes. Got back in time for Loving Every Minute Of It. Hot Girls In Love, not the best I've ever heard that song played. Turn Me Loose was solid. And then finally, of course, as Mike Reno turns to drummer extraordinaire Matt Fernet and says, we need more cowbell, that kicks off the final song. As we all knew, they were going to close the set out with Working for the Weekend. Mike Reno sounds very good, still to this day in his late 60s he looks awful he still looks awful I cannot believe he has not had somebody a doctor a bandmate pull him aside and say you cannot carry this kind of weight at your age I'm saying this with all due concern as I am a big fan of lover boy You worry about the guy when you see him on stage. The rest of the band sounded solid as well. Very, very good one-hour opening set from Loverboy. Then we got Foreigner. Now, initially, I'd heard, I don't like to... Let me say this. I don't like to look at set lists ahead of time. If I'm going to a show, I want to be surprised with the set list. I don't want to know what they're going to play in what order ahead of time. That spoils things for me. But I did hear 
that Foreigner was playing a 13-song set. And I was like, wow, 13 songs doesn't seem like a lot, so we're probably going to get out of there fairly quickly. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the review, that was not the case. Now, you might ask, why? How did they stretch 13 songs out to an hour and 45 minutes? Well, there were some solos towards the back end of the set that were very unspectacular and took up a lot of time. So, let me go through the set list, go in a little more detail here than I did with Loverboy. Start off with Double Vision. Of course, great, great song to open the set with. Funny thing, though. Keyboard player messed it up. So they basically botched the first song, Double Vision, thanks to the keyboard player. He jumped in too soon. playing the the keyboard riff from the chorus in one of the verses. After that, they straighten things out. They come back with head games. Awesome. Cold as ice. Awesome. And then, of course, got to slow things down. Waiting for a girl like you. Okay. Then the best song of their set One of my personal favorites. Still don't understand how they've never gotten in trouble for it. Dirty White Boy. Now here's where things really got weird. Not not weird, but just, this is analyzing the concert as a whole. I could forgive the keyboard screw up on Double Vision, but now we go into a three-song acoustic set. You just played Waiting for a Girl Like You. Why wouldn't you pull that in to your acoustic set? So you drag the tempo down again for When It Comes to Love, Girl on the Moon, which I actually kind of liked them playing an early obscure it if any foreigner song is obscure girl on the moon would probably qualify and then an acoustic rendition of the hit say you will but again you just played waiting for a girl like you we know the other big ballad is coming i think that was my main problem when i've talked to a couple friends of mine online who saw foreigner And they kind of had the same impression. The set list was a little weak. Because as we finish out here, we get through the acoustic set. We get feels like the first time. Urgent. And then we get the keyboard solo, the drum solo. And then we get a nice, solid rendition of Jukebox Hero leading into the encore of I Want to Know What Love Is. There you go. And finally, hot-blooded. So in the end, what I read was correct. 13 songs. 
you got 13 songs stretched over an hour and 45 minutes. So now the, the, the keyboard solo, the drum solo were part of the problem, the culprits. But Kelly Hansen did a lot of talking during the show. Now, I didn't have a problem with it. I know some people have had their issues with it. I think Kelly Hansen's engaging. I think he's a fun guy. Some of the things he was talking about, of course, poking fun at the age of the audience. It's all right. Yes, we're old. We grew up listening to your music when we were 15, 14, 13 years old. That's fine. We can take the jokes about rewinding a cassette tape with a pencil. But my problem, more so than him taking up a lot of time with his monologues, was the set list. Where's Long, Long Way From Home? The last time I saw Foreigner, they played that. Where is Blue Morning, Blue Day? Where is That Was Yesterday? Excuse me, I'm getting all choked up about this. No, again, it's still the cold I got from the night of this concert. But you, you can see where I'm going here. Yes, they played the hits. They played the big, big hits that everybody expected. But cut back on the solos, cut back on Kelly Hansen's monologues a little bit. Throw a couple rockin' tunes in there from your catalog. Maybe might have made the night a little bit better. Just a little bit. Still a great show. Still a great, great show. No Mick Jones. They teased us. There was a chair set up right before the band came on stage back by the keyboard riser, the drum riser. And you're thinking, well, you know, mix up there in ears. You never know if you're going to see him hit and miss now. Lucky to see him on the, the foreigner tour. I saw him play with them five, six years ago. But you figure that chair's probably for Mick Jones. Turns out, bass player Jeff Pilsen, of course, formerly of Dokken, had some kind of a mishap. So that was for him. But he soldiered through it. We soldiered through it. Very, very good show. Very good show to kick off six straight weeks of rock and roll live for you here on the Fortress of Rock. Now let's get into our album review of the week. Got a little bit of a lull here before we get Mammoth WVH and the Hives in early August. So we're going back and we're revisiting Autumn by the Smashing Pumpkins. Again, another live music review coming up in September here on the Fortress of Rock. Now, you'll recall that I reviewed Disc 1, Act 1, whatever you want to call it. 
and was thoroughly unimpressed. Just unbelievably heavy on the keyboards and the synthesizers. Very little in terms of guitar. You know, where's James Eha? You could put him on a milk carton. Missing James Eha, guitar player, Smashing Pumpkins. But I figured, well, I've heard Beguiled, the lead-off single, released last year. And I'm like, okay, so we know Beguiled's coming up. There's got to be more stuff like that coming down the road, right? We get through the first cheesy, synth-heavy disc act. It's going to get better, right? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Disc 2 or Act 2, whatever you want to call it, is marginally better than the first act. But you can still hear this obsession throughout Act 2 of Autumn with the, the heavy synthesizers, the cheesy keyboards. Again, we get more guitar on Act 2, which is always a good thing. And there are more acceptable, even great songs on Act 2. So we're going to kind of go track by track, kind of. The reason I say kind of is because I have listened to Act 2, Disc 2, again, whatever the second 11 songs. And it's very hard to separate some of these songs because they all blend in to me. They all sound the same to a certain extent. So we start off with Avalanche. Avalanche, again, has to start off just like disc one with the goofy synthesizer intro. And I'm already going, oh, geez, here we go. It's not going to be better. This is going to be three CDs of garbage. Avalanche ends up turning into a halfway decent pop rock song. Not great, but decent. Which is much better than most of the stuff on disc one. When we get through that, we get empires. Yes, guitars. Oh my goodness, guitars. We found James Eha. Empires, pretty solid song. So we're off to a decent start. And then we get Neophyte. reminiscent of the first act more keyboards then we get the song the song that stands out among all the rest on act two of autumn and that would be moss 
Moss is a lumbering, menacing, guitar-heavy song that I love. Love, love Moss. This is the Smashing Pumpkins that we want to hear. Yes, we know Billy Corgan can go off the rails, and but when he does, sometimes there's magic there. Today is the greatest day of ever. You know what I'm talking about. But what we really want is bullet with butterfly wings. That's what we want from the Smashing Pumpkins. We want zero. And Moss is right up there with those great Smashing Pumpkins songs. So finally, finally, almost halfway through disc two, we finally get a song, the song we've been waiting for. Does the album, does the second disc build on the momentum? Of course not. Of course not. Because then we go into Night Waves and Space Age, tracks five and six, dull as dirt with more synthesizers. Then we get a little bit more back into the good. Track seven, every morning, has keyboards again, but a little bit more guitar, nice propulsive drums, not a terrible song, not bad. Same you can say about about song eight, track eight, to the grays, again, keyboard synthesizers, making their presence known, but you do get the drums again. It's kind of catchy. And that leads us into Beguiled, of course, a song we've reviewed here in the past on The Fortress. Heavy guitars again. Great, great song. Great song. But again, what little momentum we've, we've been able to pull here from Empires and Moss and Beguiled can't be sustained because Billy Corgan's got to play around on his Casio some more with track 10, The Culling. Heavy, heavy synthesizers reminiscent of old school sticks, Kansas, yes. Anything prog rock from the 70s, pick your poison, that's what the culling sounds like, at least musically. And then finally, Springtimes, wrapping up the 11 songs in Act 2 of Autumn. Another snooze fest, just... We're two discs in on a three-disc set, and... They just can't sustain any kind of momentum. This is not Bruce Springsteen's The River. This is not Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. As ambitious as Billy Corgan is, this was not an epiphany moment where he was just so creative, like Springsteen, 
like Guns N' Roses with with Axel and Slash at their creative peaks that they were able to put out double albums that were full beginning to end of great, great songs. This is going to turn out to be, even before I've listened to Act 3, an album that should have been distilled down to 12 or 13 songs, and it would have been a classic, classic Smashing Pumpkins album. But instead, because of self-indulgence and rock and roll ego, and I know Billy Corgan comes off as a really nice guy. He's a Cubs fan like me. This is just self-indulgent garbage. So again, you can listen to Empires, listen to Moss, listen to Beguiled, put those three songs on some other playlist. Maybe put those in with some old Smashing Pumpkins. Create your own best of. But really, nothing on Act 1, Disc 1, to save or to acknowledge. And only those three songs here on Act 2 are worthy. Just a very disappointing overall effort here from the Smashing Pumpkins. But yes, now that I'm two discs in, I will review the third one most likely next week. And maybe I will put together my own version of Autumn with just the best songs. Maybe I'll do that and I'll let you know how you can distill Autumn Down into one fantastic album. That sounds like something fun. Let's put that on the agenda, shall we? And finally, one new song for you, Dirty Honey. We reviewed the Struts last week. Now we've got Dirty Honey, these two bands who are at the forefront when it comes to Younger rock bands trying to keep the old school sound alive. Of course, the Struts have a little bit of disco in them, a little bit of Queen in them. Dirty Honey, a little bit more of that Southern rock feel to them. I have issues with the lead singers for both bands. Luke Spiller of the Struts is a little bit too flamboyant, a little bit too much of a Freddie Mercury copycat for me. And here the lead singer of Dirty Honey, just a little too screechy, a little too high-pitched for me. I like my southern rock with a little bit more of a guttural growl to it, like the Allman Brothers, like Leonard Skinnerd. Molly Hatchet. But Won't Take Me Alive, the new song from Dirty Honey, still very solid, very good song. Not great. And I'm not happy with the fact that it's taking them forever to get out new music. 
They're falling into this trap that you see from a lot of old school bands. I praise the Alter Bridge Camp, Miles Kennedy, Mark Tremonti, as they are always putting out new music, whether it's together as Alter Bridge or solo. They're always trying to put out at least one or two new albums every year. Dave Grohl, we've talked about it. Even though the latest Foo Fighters album, to me, was utterly disappointing, A for effort, soldiering through the death of his friend, drummer Taylor Hawkins. Because Dave Grohl, you can't kill the creative spirit in that man. He has to create. If you're a writer, if you are an actor, if you are a rock star, you are supposed to create. That's your job. And Dirty Honey, it's taken them forever to get out a new album. And they're too young, too early on in their career, where they they should be capitalizing on the momentum instead of letting it flicker and die out. So again, Won't Take Me Alive, very solid new effort from Dirty Honey. Kind of like, again, last week, comparing the two, the struts, Too Good at Raising Hell. Very solid. Little bit by the numbers, little bit by the books type songs. But in the end, as I always like to say, I'll take it. And that's going to do it for Breakdown. Segment two is done. We are on a record pace here. Could be the longest episode of the Fortress of Rock ever. We're almost an hour in already, and I haven't even gotten to Doc Brown sitting out in the DeLorean. We're trying to beat thunderstorms here. 90-plus degree heat and thunderstorms trading off. Crazy weather. We're going to try to get through it, get into the rock and roll time stream. Birthdays, anniversaries, classic moments in rock and roll history. I want to go back just about a minute away after a quick promo break. We'll be right back, kids. All right, now that we've looked at the current state of music in our breakdown segment, it is time to climb into the DeLorean and travel back in time to look back at moments in rock and roll history, birthdays, deaths, anniversaries of song and album releases, It is time for I Want to Go Back, our tribute to Eddie Money. Stay tuned. And as always, we're on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Fortress of Rock. Strapped into the rock and roll DeLorean, Doc Brown, navigating through the thunder and the lightning and the humidity and the heat, getting us into the rock and roll time stream. Episode 102 of the Fortress of Rock on July the 28th, 2023. We will look back in time 
for classic moments in rock and roll history, birthdays and anniversaries. It is I Want to Go Back, our tribute to the late, great Eddie Money. First off, again, I did not plan for this episode to end up being a mammoth bonus exercised episode. I'm just having such a good time tonight with you guys. I'm just having fun rambling on. Thought this was going to be an actually a really short episode. And now we're going to be pushing an hour and a half, which would put us on the brink of being one of the longest episodes of the Fortress of Rock ever. So it's bonus content. It's like bonus tracks on the CD version of your favorite album. But before Doc Brown drops us out of the time stream and we'd start discussing those birthdays and those anniversaries, you know we have to take care of business at this point in time each and every week on the Fortress of Rock. First up, you have found us somewhere, but you have options. The platforms where you can find the Fortress of Rock each and every week include Spotify, Google, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Apple, Overcast, CastBox, Amazon, Audible, iHeartRadio, and for one more month, Stitcher. Yes, Stitcher is shutting down at the end of August. Sad to see them go. But plenty of other options available to you. And of course, check out the Facebook page. This weekend's Weekend Rock Project. With the hot weather barreling through the Midwest. We are looking for your favorite rock songs with the word fire in the title. We've already done in the past heat and hot. That's why we went with fire. Feel free to jump on the Facebook page and chime in. And then, of course, on Sunday, it's New Music Sunday, where we post a video off of YouTube. Might be a fully produced video, might just be a lyric video, but you get a new song. Probably something we talk about here this week or in recent weeks on The Fortress New song for you every Sunday on the Facebook page for New Music Sunday. Now you guys know I like to brag about how much I know about music. Humble brag. I don't know. There are people out there. I don't know. I'm not the be-all, end-all. I just love music. I have sources. I have to go to other places to find ideas for this podcast. And I love to acknowledge them because they're great websites, fun websites, awesome sources for rock and roll news, trivia, tidbits, history. Of course, as always, I'm talking about ultimateclassicrock.com, thisdayinmusic.com, and the Van Halen news desk. And once again, let me apologize. 
Number one, I, I sound awful. I'm stuffed up just getting over that cold I mentioned in the last segment from the Foreigner Show. Hopefully be ready to go for this weekend for Party Gras with Brett Michaels of Poison, Night Ranger, and Jefferson Starship, among others. So, rock and roll history. Let's get into it. Let's discuss it. Starting off with birthdays. July the 28th. Already going all the way back to 1949. Simon Kirk. Of course, drummer for free and bad company. Same day, same year. Steve Took was the percussionist in the early years of T-Rex. Now this is going to be one, uh, I, I want you to pay attention for this particular segment of I Want to Go Back, because I'm going to give you a couple trivia oddities that you can stump people with at parties, at concerts. Very interesting tidbits, nuggets of rock and roll history that I just learned about here researching this particular episode. Steve Took, again, born on this day in 1949, percussionist for T-Rex in the early years. After he was out of the band, supposedly differences with Mark Boland, went on to dabble in a bunch of other side groups and projects. Died in 1980 by asphyxiation. Death certificate says that he died by asphyxiation by swallowing and choking on a cocktail cherry. There's an oddity for you. There's a strange death in the world of rock and roll for you. Again, death certificate reads, died by asphyxiation, inhaling a cocktail cherry. And then finally, here in a short birthday segment, July the 28th, 1943. I don't know why we keep talking about Pink Floyd. I don't like Pink Floyd, but somehow they keep popping up in the news, mostly because Roger Waters is pure evil, but not pure evil. Keyboard player for Pink Floyd, Richard Wright, born on this day, July the 28th, back in 1943. Moving on to anniversaries, July the 28th, just a few years ago, 2021, a sad, sad day in rock and roll. 
the great Dusty Hill bass player. Part of that little old band from Texas. Yes, the bass player for ZZ Top, Dusty Hill, died on this day two years ago, back in 2021. July the 28th, 2014. Hypnotic Eye. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Great album. Great, great album. This was only nine years ago. And here we talk about how rock is dead. Rock can't survive on the music charts. You know, it's just shocking beyond belief when the new album from Queens of the Stone Age barely makes it into the top 10 on the Billboard 200. I mean, that's a win. That's a victory for rock and roll. Back in the day, like with Hypnotic Eye nine years ago and before that, rock albums were debuting at number one, which is what Hypnotic I did. Again, July 28th, 2014, Hypnotic Eye by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers was released. Did debut at number one on the Billboard Top 200 album chart. It was the only number one album for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yes, another trivia tidbit for you to use at a party or a concert to amaze your friends and astound your enemies with. Hypnotic Eye, the only number one album in the great historic history of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. July the 28th, 1992, I have a lot to discuss with this particular moment in history. This has offended me. This has upset me. I have never let this moment in rock history go. Now, let's start off by prefacing with the statement that I do not believe in censorship at all. I do not believe in censorship. But we also have the right to choose with our wallets, with our credit cards, with our cash, with our money, to not buy, to to tune out, to turn off offensive, stupid, idiotic music. No censorship here. You censor things by ignoring the dumb stuff, the stupid stuff, the crass, the offensive. You don't listen to it. That's what Tipper Gore never got back in the day with the PMRC. She wanted to call out Judas Priest and Twisted Sister, Ozzy Osbourne. They're playing the devil's music. We need to ban it. The fact that she even got labels put on some albums, rap music, rock and roll, heavy metal, disgusting. 
because in its own way, it was a form of censorship. But now, do I sound like a hypocrite? On this day in 1992, Ice-T announces that the song Cop Killer is being pulled from all future album pressings of his band and self-titled album Body Count. Warner Brothers Records, after enormous pressure from the public, pulls the song off the album Body Count, the song Cop Killer. Ice-T went on to say he would distribute free copies of the song at Body Count concerts. And again, I am not for censorship. Sometimes when you shine a light on something offensive, people gravitate to it like moths to a flame. If you just let it go, just let it burn out, and just let it sit over in a corner, you're better off than saying, oh, look at this. Look at how controversial this is. Look at how ridiculously awful. And look at, look at what we've talked about here recently when it comes to country music. Of course, we don't normally discuss country music on the Fortress of Rock, but if you've been paying attention to the news, you've heard about controversies involving the the country version of Fast Car, the old Tracy Chapman hit. I believe Luke Combs does the new country version of it. And of course, Jason Aldean's song about you can't do that in a small town. And you know what happens when you do this, when you shine a light on this stuff, they become even more popular. Whether you like it, whether you don't. And again, you can feel any way you want about these songs. Whether we go back in time and talk about Cop Killer by Body Count, or whether we talk here in current times about Fast Car and Jason Aldean, you can can take your opinion and do with it what you will. On social media, you're always going to find people that are agreeing with you. You're always going to find people who are disagreeing with you. And that's supposed to be the beauty of this country, is free speech, free thought. So no matter how offensive a song is, it needs to be out there. But again, where I say that I might be a hypocrite, I don't think I'm being a hypocrite, I'm just expressing my opinion, is that I found this all despicable, and I I have never, ever looked at Ice-T in the same way again after he released Cop Killer with his band Body Count. 
Did I want it to be censored? No. No. Again, very, very offensive, despicable stuff out there. Misogynistic, hate-filled, racist-filled music. Doesn't matter if you're talking about metal, even pop now, rap. But, again, you ignore it, you don't buy it, you don't listen to it, it goes away. You shine a spotlight on it, and it gains strength. It gains momentum. And the most disgusting part of this, and another reason why I cannot stand the sight of iced tea, not the drink. Well, I hate iced tea itself, the drink. Really, it's like dirt water with ice in it. It's just disgusting. I don't care if you put a sprig of mint in it. It's awful. Give me a nice, cold, frosty beer. But Ice-T puts out this song, Cop Killer. And then what does he do a few years later? He signs on to play a police detective on Law & Order Special Victims Unit. Disgusting, nasty human being. Disgust, and I don't care. He could give a million dollars to charity. He could do Make-A-Wish every year for the rest of his life. And I will still think he's a disgusting, despicable human being. Because how do you put out, how do you back a song, how do you write a song about killing cops and then go on to play one for years and years and years on TV? This is why I don't like celebrities. This is why I don't like Hollywood. I do not trust them. They will do anything for a dollar. They will do anything for their own egos and to keep themselves in the spotlight. Because again, If you don't keep them in the spotlight, if you don't watch, if you don't listen, they'll go away. So unfortunately on this day in July of 1992, we had to deal with Ice-T, Cop Killer, and the unfortunate censorship by Warner Brothers Records of that song when we would have just been better off if we just ignored him, ignored the song, not listened to it, not bought it, and made it just go away quietly. A lesson for now, just like it should have been a lesson back then, 31 years ago. Finally, another little piece of rock and roll trivia to regale your friends with. Everybody thinks Woodstock was the big, massive rock and roll festival show, the be-all, the end-all. Ha! 
you're so wrong. I was wrong. I probably would have said Woodstock. I might have said, well, there's probably something out there we don't know about. The Monterey Pop Festival. I don't know the exact attendance numbers, but maybe Live Aid. You know, something like that. How many of you realized July the 28th, 1973, NASCAR fans maybe know this up in the Northeast? The fans who go every year to Watkins Glen to watch the road course race in the NASCAR Cup Series. The Watkins Glen Outdoor Summer Jam on July the 28th, 1973, featuring the Allman Brothers Band, the Grateful Dead, and the band, among others, pulled in more than Woodstock in terms of attendance. Over 600,000 people. Again, trivia. Stump your friends, your neighbors, your family. Some will assert, some have asserted, that this was the single biggest gathering of all time. I believe roughly the first 100,000, 120,000, had to pay 10 bucks to get in. After that, everybody else got in for free. The Watkins Glen Outdoor Summer Jam. Over 600,000 people on this day in 1973. All right, Doc Brown did it. Pulling the Rock and Roll DeLorean back into the Fortress of Rock Garage, beating the thunderstorms. That'll do it for I Want to Go Back. But, of course, we have one last segment left. A real quick look into the future. Wrap it up. Next up on the Fortress of Rock, I'm the Maestro. I'll be right back. Well, we hope you enjoyed our trip back in time, looking back at the anniversaries, the classic moments in rock and roll history. But of course, the DeLorean works both ways. So now we have to move forward. The last segment here, as always, on the Fortress of Rock with me, the maestro Kevin Crane, Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Stitcher, CastBox, Google, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It's all about the future. What's coming out here in the next month or two? What songs, what albums, what concert tours? That's why we call it Wrap It Up. Thanks to the fabulous Thunderbirds. Thanks to you for hanging out. Here comes our final segment. All right, everybody, that's going to about do it for the Fortress of Rock. Episode 102 here on July the 28th, 2023. As always, thanks for hanging out with me. 
thunderstorms moving in here after a very hot and humid day. Things will settle down here for a while. Nice, decent summer weather in the low 80s for the foreseeable future, which means great weather for seeing outdoor rock shows, which is what I will be doing for the foreseeable future and each and every week here on the Fortress of Rock. We started off here this week with Foreigner and Loverboy. Next week, Party Gras. This coming Sunday, July the 30th, at Ruoff Music Center, outside of Indianapolis, Indiana. Brett Michaels, a poison, Night Ranger, Jefferson, Starship. And then what? The dude that sang for Sugar Ray? Eh. Another dude that sang briefly for Journey? Eh. Still should be a good time. We will have a review of Party Gras next Friday night on the Fortress of Rock for you. In two weeks, we get back into album reviews. Not only will we have a review of Matchbox 20 live again at the Ruoff Music Center in Noblesville, Indiana, we will also finally have a review of the long-awaited follow-up to the fantastic debut album for Mammoth WVH. That would be Mammoth 2. Coming on your August the 11th episode of the Fortress of Rock. And on August the 18th, again, a double shot. Concert review. Godsmack and Stained. And the brand new, long-awaited album from The Hives. The Death of Randy Fitzsimmons. That will be on the August the 18th episode. For those of you playing along at home, that would be episode 105. Now, in terms of other new music, songs, albums... I haven't committed to it yet, but since we've only got a concert review so far on the schedule for next week, I might delve into that third and final act, that third disc on the Smashing Pumpkins Autumn set. I don't know if I want to subject myself to it, though. I just kind of like to maybe take a week and go back and listen to some of the better albums here from earlier in the summer, like Rival Sons, Dark Fighter, and Queens of the Stone Age in Times New Roman. There's only so much bad music you can put up with. And again, like I was talking about earlier, maybe what I need to do is distill Autumn down into one CD of my choosing, the songs of my choosing that I like, and turn it into the album that should have been, Autumn. Still thinking that could be a fun little project for us to talk about here on the Fortress of Rock in the coming weeks. Yes, I'm still looking to review some of those songs I missed 
from Peter Gabriel's upcoming IO album. When it's coming out, nobody knows. He's released probably over half of it already. But I still have not reviewed Road to Joy or Four Kinds of Horses yet. The Pretenders still debating whether or not I'm going to I'm going to delve into their new music. Two songs out right now. Let the sun come in and I think about you daily. Boy, if that that second title doesn't sound like it could be the most pathetic, cheesiest song of all time. Kind of like how I cringe when I hear open arms or can't fight this feeling. I think about you daily. Ooh, ooh. Oh, just, just. Sets off all kinds of alarms and bells and whistles in my rock and roll cerebellum. Still going to review Alice Cooper's new song featuring Tom Morello, White Line Frankenstein. Probably next week. Probably. And then finally, we like that first song, that first taste. We got from Paul Rogers, his upcoming solo album. Second single is out now. We will review that here in the coming weeks on The Fortress. Second single is Take Love. And I will warn you, we're getting into a dry spell. Once we get through the hives and mammoth WVH, I'm not seeing a lot of great new music on the horizon, but that's expected. We'll probably get some announcements about some new albums coming out in October and November. Because, of course, that'll be the Christmas push. You have two major times when you get new music. The Christmas push and the early summer push. I've mentioned I thought that this summer most of the music was underwhelming, again, with the exception of Rival Sons and Queens of the Stone Age. Of course, we're talking about albums like Matchbox 20. Just not as good as I was hoping after a long, long layoff. And again, why don't you let Rob Thomas write the songs? He's one of the best songwriters in the world, and you don't let him write songs? How screwed up is that? And I seem to single out Matchbox 20, and I shouldn't, but I really, I really expected more from them. And again, we'll see how good they are in concert here in a couple weeks, and we'll have that for you on The Fortress. But I think it's time to let you go. I've rambled on, goofed around long enough. A little bit more loosey-goosey this episode than normal, but it's been a long week. Maybe next week we'll get back to being a little more structured, a little more mature on the Fortress of Rock. (laughs) Some would say, go for it. Some would say, no, no, we like this. 
We like it when you're goofing around and having fun. It's all about finding middle ground, common ground. Remember that in life, kids. Find common ground with your enemies, with your friends. And of course, don't forget to love the one you're with. I'm the maestro Kevin Crane. Once again, thank you for hanging out with me for an hour and a half. Hope you had fun. We will talk to you in seven days. I'm the maestro. I'm out.